And obviously the goal is, you know, getting more clients for our company. But I think for us, it's just testing, finding new ideas, you know, always trying to innovate, trying to look for that next edge, that, that's sort of the next step that's going forward. Hey, it's Matt. And this is Pass the Secret Sauce. All right, all. On today's episode of Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Trevor Oldham, who I actually am a client of Trevor Oldham. Uh, He has a company called Podcasting You. So basically what they help people do is if you want to appear on podcasts, they help place you on podcasts. And I absolutely loved uh, the, the service. That's actually how I started in podcasting myself. I actually reached out to, to Trevor and his company got me on a number of podcasts. And then I decided to launch my own podcast, Pass the Secret Sauce here, after being on a, a few other people's shows and, and interacting with them and realizing how much fun they were having with it. So Trevor has also helped some people get on my show as well. So again, incredibly, incredibly valuable service. They have a lot of other things that they can do for you as well. And to be quite honest with you, I haven't used any of those other uh, other services, so I'm not 100% sure what they are. But Trevor is uh, a great, great person. Uh, he's he's young, he's ambitious, which is uh, it's fantastic to be able to see that. So we had a lot of fun chatting about Trevor's upbringing and how he got into the podcasting space. And uh, if you're looking to get placed on podcasts, check out Trevor's uh, podcasting you service. Uh, I've I've been nothing but happy with it. So uh, it's been a fantastic service. And with that. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Yeah, it was very interesting. My father, he started his own business. He did awards. So you could think of, you know, as a high school student, you see banners in the gym, you see, you know, let's say you get an award ceremony, you get trophies, that sort of thing. So he had that business going for him. Um, And my mom worked in retail. So it was very interesting having that conversation with him where my mom would be talking about, you know, the different items she was selling. And I was always thinking like, oh, like, how can I take that item and make it better? Or how can I take that item and profit, you know, buy it from her and then sell it, you know, on eBay or Craigslist and that sort of thing. Because my dad, he was wholesaling, he would buy like 5,000 pins from China, you know, at five cents a piece, then he would go out and sell them to these schools for a buck a piece, you know, for the students. And then however, the school would mark them up from there. So it it was sort of those two different instances where he was buying pretty much wholesale. And then my mom was more direct working in the stores. And I was just, I was always very entrepreneurial within those conversations, thinking about how can I buy something for a dollar and then go out and sell it for $2. So it was very, I would say very entrepreneurial having those conversations. And definitely my father, who I would call my mentor, always reaching out to him, especially at the dinner table, coming up with, you know, new different business ideas and just having those and sharing different thoughts. I love it. I love it. So is entrepreneurialism right from the very beginning? With yeah. you, huh? That's fantastic. That's fantastic. What were some of the early business ideas that you came up with? Do you, do you remember any of them? Most certainly. So I guess growing up, you know, standard things, uh, mowing lawns. I used to go to Marshall's TJ Maxx and buy clothing there, specifically Ed Hardy. Um, I, that was just the brand I knew. Go and buy them there, sell them online. And as I got older, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And that's where I discovered Alibaba and AliExpress. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who don't know, it's basically a wholesaler for Chinese products. So I bought 
I used to buy 50 phone cases for $80. In high school, I'd bring them to school, sell them for $5, $10 a piece, depending on, <laughs> depending on if I like the person or not. Yeah. And then pretty much from there, I got a little bit more invested into AliExpress, and I was able to buy these bracelets for a buck a piece. I ended up selling them for $20. Wow. I built a whole Instagram account with them. That's how I got really connected with influencers and sort of started to build a brand there. And then kind of just those one instances, you know, growing up and then going through college, um, those kind of really got me started into entrepreneurship. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So would you say that your first business was essentially the Alibaba one or did you, and uh, you did say mowing lawns, were there any other, you know, small things that you were doing? And, and actually, you know, congratulations, by the way, most people, myself included, <laughs> You know, we were out there slinging candy, you know, Jolly Ranchers or, or suckers or something like that in high school. You know, you're, you're already you know, selling uh, <laughs> phone cases and that and, and you're making incredible margin there. So, so congrats on that. So what happened after high school? What was your yeah. next business? So, yeah, so I went to college, wasn't sure, you know, exactly what I wanted to do. Kind of in that mantra where everyone graduates high school, they go on to college. So I'd originally started the, the bracelet company. So that was my freshman year of college. I really got that off the ground. And coming into my sophomore year of college, I kind of, I wanted to do something different. These bracelets were geared towards women. I kind of felt bad. I was donating to charity on one hand and then also getting these bracelets made in China. Um, so the two and two didn't, didn't really go together. Yeah. So from there, I wanted to be able to motivate people because I felt as though being a college student, a lot of college students were unmotivated. And I wanted to say, hey, I have four years. How can I go out and create a business for myself? So I wanted to go out and create a platform. So I started a business called Become the Line with a Partner. Um, that business kind of took off. I mean, we had 600,000 social media followers within the first year and a half. Wow. Um, I started a podcast. And um, that's kind of how I got into the podcasting industry. I um, grew the podcast with, you know, interviewing exceptional business guests and started blog writing. So that kind of opened up my whole new world into online marketing. I guess making a long story short, the business partnership didn't end up working out. Um, but I was able to use my skills going forward um, to eventually start my business I have now, which is working with different individuals um, to get them booked um, on podcasts within their specific niche. I love it. I love it. And just for complete transparency, I'm also one of your clients as well. You've got <laughs> me booked on quite a few different uh, podcasts as well. But can you talk about, you mentioned that you grew to 600,000 social media followers you know, within a year and a half. Can you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about how you were able to accomplish that? Yeah, no, most certainly. So the biggest thing was scale. The way we did that is we would post four times a day on Instagram, you know, eight times a day on Facebook, six times a day on Twitter, and always just testing. We would go out, uh, my partner and I, we'd buy courses on how, you know, some of these top accounts, like Build Your Empire, I believe, had a course we purchased, and that would show you how they grew from zero to one million followers. So we would just try to replicate that, and it was just a lot of testing. Um, you can act, The account's still out there if anyone wanted to check it out. It's called Become the Lion. And you, so you can see a sense of the post we would Basically, it would be like a motivational account, so it was very easily digestible from the audience standpoint, where we'd put a motivational quote, tag, picture, and then like usually a paragraph underneath it. So people just found it to be very easily to be shareable. But the problem I ran into is just because it's easily shareable doesn't mean people are going to purchase a product once you come out with it. And that's one of the issues that we ran into is, yes, it was great. We had you know hundreds of thousands of followers, but when it came time to you know go out and write a book, you know, not necessarily all those 600,000 followers would go and purchase it. Or when we came out with a course, not on everyone would purchase it. So that was something we ran into where you could have, you know, 500, 600, seven, even a million followers. 
but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if no one's going to purchase your product or service. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and that's, that's interesting because obviously everybody is trying to grow their social media following, you know, for that exact reason to be able to, to capitalize on it. With that learning, with that experience, what would you do differently today to maybe make that a little bit more valuable? Do you have any insights or tips there? Yeah, I think initially from the beginning would just really be growing a mailing list. That's something we didn't start till later on. And I think it would be focusing on our target audience. I think a lot of people like motivational content and gets them pumped up for, you know, a minute, 10 minutes. So I think mm -hmm. it would be honing down to be more applicable items instead of saying, you know, work harder, you know, or people, you can't sleep, you need to, you know, work more in your business and that sort of thing. So I think it'd be more honing in the content to be, you know, this is how you can start a successful business for myself and then my business partner who also had his own businesses at the time. So I think it'd be more going along the lines of educational and applicable items. And I think that way we get more of a defined audience and people who would actually want to purchase our items other than saying, hey, this is the motivational guy. Why am I going to go out and buy a course from him? All it does is pump me, you know, pump me up and that sort of thing. So I think it'd be making things more applicable on that someone would be able to implement in their life. Yeah, yeah. A little bit more niche you think too. Yep. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So you started podcasting you. What was the catalyst for that? Why why did you start that? Did you see yeah, a need in the market or? This, it's it's kind of just stumbled my way in there. Given So after the company, after me and my partner, I left that partnership with the company, wasn't sure what I wanted to do next. And I went out, reached out to some of my former clients and said, hey, you know, I know how to book, you know, I book clients for my, or book guests for my own show. And would you like to be booked on shows yourself? And about five of the, the previous podcast guests I'd interviewed said, yeah, sure, you know, help us out. So it kind of got started from that. And then over the last, I don't know, three or four years, it kind of just grew from there. And I'm, especially as podcasts had become a lot more popular, um, I found that people were more interested in getting booked on podcasts. So it was kind of one of those things where I just wanted to test it out, see if there's a marketplace for it, see if people were interested in it. And I mean, it, it started out small. I mean, for the first two years or so, I was doing pretty much everything, which includes, you know, for our company, writing a, a client's pitch, researching shows, reach, you know, reaching out to guests, following up and all that good stuff. So I spent really the good first two years doing all that work before mm -hmm. ever hiring my first employee and then expanding the team from there. That's great. That's great. Can you talk about your first employee? Who was it that you decided to hire first? Yeah, most certainly. So the first thing I definitely hired is an executive assistant that took a lot off my plate. Just what she did is she essentially helped us out with our first clients. She would be the one answering their emails. I find that I would just be spending hours upon hours <laughs> um, of answering emails, of crafting emails. And I realized that sometimes my time would be better spent um, going on, you know, doing interviews, would be going on looking for potential clients, um, beefing up the marketing that we do for the company, not so much answering emails for our clients on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's where she really came in and I wanted to be more working on the business, whereas previously I had been working in the business for the last two or two years. And that wasn't like, I don't want to say it was an easy thing. I, it was hard to relent control when you've had it for so long. So that was something I definitely needed to work on, but she definitely helped me out and put some processes in place. She actually had um, a little girl um, not too long ago. So she ended up leaving our company to work, uh, not work with her, but um, what's the word? Raise her. Yeah. Raise, raise her. her full time. That's where I was going. Raise her full time. So, but the processes she put in place, allow our company to grow. And then when I was able to take on a new sort of executive assistant and allow our company to grow even further. And I think, you know, anyone who's thinking about starting a company, I wish I hired employees from the first day. I tell you what, when I think of a process, I'm like, Oh, this is a perfect idea. You know, this is going to be clients are going to love it. And then I share it with my employees and they're like, ah, maybe we should tweak it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. They, 
they have amazing ideas and I'm like, wow, you know, they make me grow 10 times faster just by having them. No, I love it. I love it. And now are you, can you talk a little bit about where you're finding these employees and how you're, how you're sourcing them? Yeah, most certainly. So we use Upwork primarily to find our employees. So we go on there, we'll put out a post on them. We'll usually get I don't know, anywhere from 10 to 20 applicants. And then I'll go through, hop on a call with them, make sure that they look, you know, make sure they sound good, they look good, and that sort of thing on their resume. And then I'll bring in my, our executive assistant, basically her name's Amanda. She'll go through, take a look at it, you know, make sure that they look good. And then we'll hire them from there. And we usually give them a trial run where we'll just start them off with one or two clients, make sure that it looks good. Because we don't want to you know, give them a full book of, you know, five to 10 clients. And for whatever reason, they're, they're not good or they, they disappear. It's a lot harder yeah. um, to manage that sort of thing. So we start off giving them just some small little tasks, having them start off at 10 hours per week. And then if 10 hours per week looks good, you know, they're doing a good job, they're bringing ideas to the table, then we'll expand to 20 hours per week. And if that looks good, you know, so it's sort of like we do it in smaller increments just to test with the employee to make sure that they're a good fit for our company. Because there's been times in the past where someone, I think that they're a good fit, they look good on paper, I bring them on. And then for whatever reason, they just, they disappear. I and mean, there's been instances like that, even like a month ago, where this lady was super excited to work with us. I made her introductions um, to two clients. And then she tells me at the end of the week, something came up and she can no longer work with us. So that's like an instance where I'm glad I didn't introduce her to 10 of our clients to be managing. Cause it's, yeah. it does make for an interesting situation when you go, Hey, I'm sorry. We have a, another new booking agent. You know, I know we mentioned one on Monday. Well, now it's, you know, no, Friday, we're giving you yeah. somewhere new. So it tries to minimize the risk on our end where instead of giving them a full blown portfolio, we try to just minimize it. And that way I find that to be best instead of bringing on someone full time. So they're all contractors. We have a, um, a remote team. All of our workers are within the US, which has been very nice. And the majority of us are on the East Coast. We have one employee in California. Um, so usually, it's nice just we're all able to pretty much con- stay in contact throughout the day um, as we work. Can you talk about some of the tools that you use too to you know, manage your days and communicate back and forth with each other? Yeah, most certainly. So our primarily tool is Basecamp. We absolutely love Basecamp. For those of you who don't know Basecamp, it's basically a project management platform. So what that allows us to do is we have all of our clients set up there and we also have all of our employees set up there. And we can set up these daily reminders where they can go out and say, it'll send them a message saying, what did you work on today? So, the employee, so I don't have to go out and ask my employee what they did today. I can just, you know, at the end of the day, see what they did. And that's for updates on clients. So I can, don't, again, don't have to constantly hound them to see, you know, which clients need improvement, which clients do we need help with, that sort of thing. Um, so it's super beneficial um, using that software at Basecamp. And then it also has like their client goals on there and that sort of thing. And also has houses all of our tutorial videos. So if we bring on a new worker and they're not, un- they're unsure about how something works, instead of myself, you know, teaching them how to do it, we've created a whole host of da- tutorials for them to look at. So that's basically our biggest thing that we use on a daily basis. And that's how all of our team communicates. We've used different, you know, software platforms out there like Slack and Asana, but we've just found Basecamp to be the most beneficial one. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Can you talk about some of the the benefits? So I guess there's two sides to this question. So you have the people that are on the podcasts, and then mm-hmm. you have people that have started their own podcasts. Can you can you talk about some of the benefits that you have realized yourself or seen other people gain from both sides of that? You know, being on a podcast mm-hmm. and also starting their own podcast. Yeah, I think the biggest thing 
the number one thing that I say to everyone, it's hard to put into a monetary value, but is the networking relationship of it. Just having a conversation like, you know, Matt, you and I are having right now face to face. Like it's a lot easier having that on a podcast and saying, if I sent you an email and said, Hey Matt, can I pick your brain for 15 minutes? It's just, it's so much easier to have a conversation with that. And I remember when I was running my own show, talking to these different entrepreneurs I looked up to, it's just a lot easier to make an intro and have a conversation with them if you're giving them value by having them on your podcast. And then you get to build that relationship with them. And that's like the biggest thing is people want to come on podcasts and they say, how many copies of my book can I sell? How many new clients can I sign up? And I try to, you know, explain to them that I think the biggest benefactor of being a guest or even having your own podcast is being able to network with the, you know, the, the guests that you have on your show. Or if you go on other shows, being able to network with that host and it just opened up doors for me in my business, you know, beyond my imagination. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. What, what's next for you? What, what are the, uh, the goals that you're, you're shooting for right now? Yeah. So our goals are just continue to add on more clients. We've been doing a lot of research into how people are getting themselves booked on speaking stages. And we've been trying to implement some of that information for our podcasting clients because we find it's, it's very similar. We're speaking to an, you know, they're both speaking to an audience. One's, you know, virtually like you and I are talking in ones, obviously in person. So we've been doing a lot of research into how people set up themselves, setting up like what's called like speaker pages where someone can go to and find information to book a speaker for their event. So we've been implementing some strategies with that for some of our newer clients that we've been taking on. So it's really just, we're always just testing, looking at new ideas, trying out, you know, different platforms, like, you know, reaching out to these different podcast hosts. Um, so I'm it's just always just testing, I guess, is our biggest goal. I mean, obviously, the goal is, you know, getting more clients for our company. But I think for us, it's just testing, finding new ideas, you know, always trying to innovate, trying to look for that next edge, that, that's sort of the next step that's going forward. So, so basically, your goal then is to not only serve the people that have podcasts by booking other guests and getting guests booked on podcasts, but then also uh, helping people that are looking for, you know, live public speakers to, you know, place public speakers in though. Do you have any niche industries that you're focusing in on uh, with, with that? Yeah. So I'd say probably the biggest one is going to be real estate. The real estate space, we've just found that with our, with about our clients, about 80% of them are real estate and centric, whether that's real estate agents or real estate investors. And we found that sort of to be our bread and butter for whatever, whatever reason, that's just the one we happen to be the best at. And um, when it comes to our clients, we've worked with a lot of different niches. So primarily going, not, I don't want to say primarily, we do have that other 20%, which make up, you know, entrepreneurs, business coaches, CEOs, leaders, and that sort of thing. But it's definitely working with those real estate centric people to get them booked, you know, to speak at conferences, to speak on, you know, even larger podcasts and that sort of thing. Excellent. Excellent. I love this. Trevor, so if someone wanted to learn more about you, learn more about podcasting you, what would be the best way to accomplish that? Yeah. So the best thing would be definitely going to our company. I'm um, just podcasting you.com or if someone ever has a question, whether that's about podcasting or entrepreneurship, especially if they're a young entrepreneur, I always love talking to young entrepreneurs and sharing ideas on how they can start their own business. Um, feel free to reach out to me. It's going to be uh, Trevor at podcasting you.com is the best way to reach me. Love it. Love it. Excellent, Trevor. Well, again, thanks for everything that you do, because again, I've benefited benefited from it as well. So certainly appreciate that. And uh, this has been a great conversation. So of course, we'll, we'll continue chatting and connecting with more podcasts in the future and uh, look forward to seeing what, what you do next. Perfect. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.